Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Week 4 edition of the Play-By-Play Podcast. On today's episode, we delve into the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are in a bit of a last dance with their quarterback, supposedly like the Packers are with theirs, allegedly. To that end, we feature one of the top play-by-play sportscasters in the country, Kevin Harlan of CBS and TNT, who handled the telecast of last week's Steelers-Bengals game in Pittsburgh. We'll try to get a little insight into the Steelers. You know, there's nothing really burning me this week, so the back page might actually, and Nick Van Wagen and our producer is very happy about this, might actually be shorter and a little more tame. Well, don't count on it. But anyway, uh, hey, got to ask you, was that dramatic Packers victory in San Francisco really something we'll be talking about months and years from now? Was it really a signature moment? Do we know? Oh, and by the way, are the Packers after three games the team we thought they were? Our producer is Nick Van Wagenen, or as he's been called, Nick VW. Anybody ever call you Nick VW? Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. I, Sometimes. I didn't think I'd be the first to do that. I've never had an original thought in my life, so I didn't think so. They called my dad Van back in the day. Van. That was the Did they? That's good. Yeah. yeah. And back in the day. I like it. As always, this podcast is coming to you completely commercial-free. Not because we don't want sponsors, but because our salespeople don't know how to spell podcasts, much less sell one. And Nick and I are way, way too lazy to go out and sell it on our own. So we come to you out of the goodness of our hearts, completely commercial free. Big of us, ain't it? Time to welcome in the outstanding national play-by-play announcer for CBS TNT and Westwood One, my longtime friend, one-time co-worker and current colleague, Kevin Hartley. <laughs> Kevin, it's been a lot of years <laughs> since you were like a junior in college at KU, and we asked you to come in and produce on uh, KCMO Radio uh, a two-hour pregame show, which in those days was the first and only two-hour pregame show for an NFL football game on the radio uh, in the NFL. Um, boy, it, it, wow, has time flying. Well, I, I will tell, and, and uh, p- people know this that know me, that, that Wayne Larravee, <laughs> when I was in college, gave me my first real big shot in this business. He saw me at a basketball game at Allen Fieldhouse, as I recall, mentioned this at the end of my sophomore year in college and said our station, KCMO, that had done the Chiefs forever, was putting together this big show. Would I be interested in producing it? And I said, my God, yes. And uh, and then throughout the years, I would I worked under Wayne when Wayne was the sports director, and then and then eventually I was lucky enough that when Wayne went on to uh, WBBM in Chicago to broadcast the Bears, the Chiefs' job was open, and because Wayne had you know brought me on board four or five years earlier, I was not next in line, but I was certainly a candidate, and eventually got that job. And without Wayne's belief and friendship <laughs> and kindness over the years, seriously. I mean, I, I don't know where I would have been. It takes one person to open a door, and you open that door, and then we've been friends ever since. We're going on 40 years now. So, so no, I, I, I think the world of you have tried to pattern a lot of my broadcasting after you. And so it's always fun to cross paths when we're doing a game like we did Monday night a couple of weeks ago against Detroit and Lambeau, and then the summer when we traveled the preseason together. So, sure. listen, I, I, I hold you in the highest regard, and 
So glad we have a chance to visit here. Well, first off, I don't remember any of that stuff, but then it, that's a long, I have a bad memory. So, <laughs> hey, listen, you know, Kevin, obviously you've gone on to such great achievements in, in the business, but one of the things I wanted to ask you about was, you know, on national radio, there have been a couple of times where some drunk fan spills out of the stand, starts running across the field. What compelled you to start describing that? Because it's some of the, the most incredible radio I've ever heard. Well, you, you would have said, listen, kid, don't do it. Don't, 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 don't go down that road. And, well, Wayne, and no one knows this more than you. When you're doing radio play-by-play, you are so in the weeds with substitutions and positions and sub-packages on offense and defense. And um, I think anybody that, you know, and, and I, like I said, I've patterned myself a lot after your call. And, and when you're in like that, anything that happens, whether it's a, a, a hot dog wrapper or a, a pigeon or a, a drunk fan, if they kind of mess with the game, in these, in these cases, these kids ran right through the formation, like right through the <laughs> slot receiver's formation as the guys are at the line. Well, then, you know, then, then you're just you're kind of calling what you see. And um, it probably has not been the smartest thing I've ever done. I've always kind of con- been concerned. But on radio, you know, they don't see a face. They don't hear a name. They don't – they just know it's some guy. So there's the notoriety there is minimal. Television, you wouldn't do it because you couldn't show them. Yeah. And the cameras are turned the other way. But um, I guess I just feel like I'm so engrossed in the game <laughs> – that it just be kind of comes becomes part of the game, and then for whatever reason, you know, the security guys don't get them. Like these guys are allowed to run around in the field for like a minute, yeah. and do it, and they evade, you know, all these lumbering security people that come up there and try to tackle them, and they can't get them. So it becomes kind of a sideshow, I guess. Oh, it, it's amazing! But you know, it's funny how there are certain things that happen in your career, and you say. God, how did I get recognized for that? You know what I mean? When you think about it, and uh, it's something yeah. obviously you don't even think about or prepare for. But it, no, it's no. just been wonderful. It, it, that that's just it, it shows your personality and, and humor. I think more than anything else is that hey, th- we're at a game. This is fun. It's you know we all look at these games as life or death, but only in the context of they really aren't. You know what I mean? You're all exactly right, and we we enjoy the business. You love the business. I've always sensed that from you, and, and you're the you know the consummate professional. And 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 I think that when you feel so honored to be in that seat with that headset on, calling a game, whether it's the Green Bay Packers or whoever, yeah, um, you you have this this um, you know this sense of 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 you know let, let's 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 really just give every ounce that I've got into this broadcast. I've watched your work ethic, and we all have to work at a certain level, certainly, to, to keep these jobs. So I I, I guess, I, I, you know, when, when I'm in that press box at Lambeau in particular, Wayne, and, you know, as a ball boy, as you know, there when my dad was there, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you used to sneak up those steps into the press box, the old press box, and do imaginary games during my lunch hours. So when I walk in that press box, even though it's newer and a little bit higher than the one that I grew up with, you know, there, there's, there's a feel there of like, boy, how lucky am I and how fortunate in life that I've been able to, to do the things that I've done, work with the people I've worked with, and, and broadcast this great game. Yeah, absolutely. No question about it. Hey, let's talk a little bit about the game. One of the reasons you're on the podcast this week is that you uh, 
did the telecast on CBS for the game last week in Pittsburgh uh, between the Steelers and Bengals. Um, First off, general question, Kevin. I don't know how you think uh, the NFL has changed in the way it prepares its players for regular season. Um, and consequently, I don't think we really get to real NFL football where the guys are all in hitting shape until about week four, which is now. Uh, what's your impression of that? And, and again, it gets back to bigger, faster, stronger. You can't hit in training camp the way you and I used to see people hit in training camp. They don't work like that anymore. and They can't. They blow up their teams. Excellent point, Wayne, and I totally agree. I, I'm all in on that, and and it's just kind of part of the new NFL that we're in. It maybe makes these players healthier at the end, keeps them healthier through the beginning of the season. If you re- remember the days when they had like six pr- uh, preseason games, yeah. <laughs> they would have two a days before the six preseason games, and then after a game, they have two a days the following week in 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 the hot July and August sun. So it's it's changed dramatically. It's keeping the players healthier longer and uh but the 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 consequence and there's always another side of every story the consequence of it is that it's a little sloppy for the first couple weeks you can see some weird scores and weird Mm -hmm. endings and outcomes of games and i think that's kind of i think that's kind of where we are right now but i would like to think that uh, belichick said one time and i think others you know subscribe to it is that you don't really know the team you've got until you get probably into the first week in October, and that's kind yeah. of where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Right? We're kind of in that in that area. You know who has won a position. Uh, you know what positions are still turbulent. You know, you know, kind of what's working in offense and with the new line or whatever you may have going on with your particular team. There's certainly a better feel for it. You know, when Mike McCarthy was up there, I, I remember this clearly. I think he said in the 2010 season when they won the Super Bowl against the Steelers in Dallas, as you called, um, uh, they went through like 75-plus players that season. Yeah. Right? So somewhere along the line, you're either getting practice squad guys, you're getting guys you cut in training camp, or you're, you're signing guys that you don't have any knowledge of or have not had before right off the street. And it takes a lot of players to get through a season. Maybe that number, with all the things they've done, knocking down a preseason game, less hitting in camp, less hitting during the season in practice, maybe that will bring that number down a little bit. Guys won't be as injured or injured as often. And um, so I, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see, you know, we get five, six years down the road, uh, what the numbers will say if these measures have helped the league get to where they are. But that being said, you're so right, it's sloppy. Uh, the tackling has been bad, but I think we both kind of feel like this is the time. Maybe we turn that corner and see a better brand of football, a more efficient kind of football from these teams. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with you. You know, the Steelers, Kevin, uh, as I look at them, uh, they're kind of going into this year. My impression was they decided, okay, we're going to bring back Big Ben, and instead of blowing everything up and doing a big rebuild, uh, we're going to kind of piece things together, tool it together as we can under the salary cap, and make another run, or as we say up here, a last dance with Big Ben. Yeah. What do you see? <laughs> I see um, a guy who looks every bit of 39, to be quite honest. You know, he's, he doesn't have Aaron's body. They're the same age. He doesn't have Aaron's body. Um, uh, and you can see just right off the top that Aaron could move on and play additional years, whereas Ben 
he looks like now he's had some significant elbow injuries. He missed a season with basic Tommy John surgery where they reconstructed the elbow. Um, he got hit last week against Cincinnati, which is a much improved team, by the way. Um, they spent $230 million in the last two years just on free agent signings and keeping some valuable players and parts. So they're a much improved team, defensively in particular. And and they were going at Ben a lot, took a lot of hits, as he had the week before when Pittsburgh played. And um, and they, they kind of shoved his arm when it was cocked and in the throwing yeah. motion, knocked it back. So he came into that game with a left peck issue uh, last week. Um, that does not heal overnight, as you know. So it's going to be still part of an issue, I think, this week at Lambeau. So there's a lot of things. His body is betraying him a little bit. Um, I don't get that sense with Aaron. I didn't get it with Breeze. I certainly didn't get it with Brady. Um, but with Ben, he's just he just built differently. He's built like a tight end, and he was mm-hmm. a former tight end at one time. So, so his body is breaking down a little bit. And that team is is really in transition. They've got some nice parts, but for whatever reason, they you know they were without T.J. Watt last week. Which Wayne is you know you lose one signature player on defense. It, as you know, it affects everybody else. Yeah. They either try to do more or they can't do as much. You, you don't have the, you know, it, it just it just affects everything. Yeah, and with what with what being out, it really affected the Pittsburgh defense. Yeah, likely. yeah. In addition, uh, Lou Alou, their defensive lineman has been yes, out, and yeah. you know, you so you uh, they haven't had a number of injuries on defense that they're working through. Uh, skill position players on offense, boy, those three receivers can be great, but I don't know if the offensive line can hold up enough for Big Ben to get the ball downfield to those guys. Consequently, everything has been very short in the passing game from what I've seen. Yes, no, you're right on, on the money. They've got young kids because they start two rookies on the line, not, not unlike the Packers. And uh, so, so they, they've got a lot of transition there. And I don't know that they have a signature lineman, to be quite honest. Gone or, you know, DeCastro De and Villanueva, like all those pouncy, they're all gone. And um, so they've got young kids. They've drafted it. They've tried to build that line. They're high on a, a rookie tight end they got out of Penn State, Friermuth. Right. Um, I think they like the running back out of Alabama, Harris. They've got some skill at, at the wide receiver. But they're a team in transition, there's no doubt, with a 39-year-old quarterback. And I don't know, Wayne, on that roster, that they have their apparent to that job. I don't know if Green Bay does, but I know that Pittsburgh is really I, – I don't know that they're necessarily sold on Mason Rudolph. I don't know if they think that Haskins is the guy. Like, I don't know what they've got going. But yeah. I will say this. I think that – there's going to be something special about them coming in because when you've got a Hall of Fame quarterback like Roethlisberger playing another Hall of Fame quarterback like Aaron, and they've got a history going back to that Super Bowl but haven't really played all that many times against each other, I always think that's kind of a unique experience. Late afternoon at Lambeau Field, you know, just as the sun is setting earlier, you know, it's going to be a nice day weather-wise, or at least temperature-wise. And, and I, there's going to be something kind of nostalgic, I think, in the air when you see these two guys that will eventually be in, in Canton, maybe at the exact same inauguration, I, I, you know, induction. I, I don't know what's going to, what's going to happen with the, the longevity of each, but uh, for Roethlisberger, we could literally be seeing his last yeah. season in pro football. Certainly looks like it. Uh, Kevin, I, I would like to ask you, uh, you know, you saw the Packers during the preseason, but you really didn't see the Packers during the preseason, <laughs> no. you know what I mean? But um, so right. give, me your, give me your impression from afar. What do you make of this uh, Packers team, and, and where do they sit? Because after three weeks, I think after that first game, people were like, whoa, what happened here? Yeah. Uh, and the last two weeks 
a bit a little better. I mean, you saw the Detroit game, and uh, the first half was much like uh, the New Orleans game, and then the second half they picked it up a little bit, and then that was a very good performance at San Francisco. Uh, but what's your impression? Well, uh, to me, Aaron looks like he is engaged and fully into it, and, and if anyone thought that maybe he was, you know, after watching that, that loss in Jacksonville against the Saints, that Maybe he wasn't mentally in there. They, they couldn't have been more wrong. I, he, and plus, he's not that kind of guy. He, he takes too much personal pride in his work and how he's perceived and his legacy and the organization like, and, and, and the teammates. Like He's close to a lot of these guys. The one thing that stood out, and I, watched, I was flying um, after that game in Pittsburgh to Dallas to do the Monday night game. So I watched the whole thing, and to be quite honest, I – I don't know where they'd be without Devontae Adams. Like Adams is 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 if he's not the best receiver in football, then then he's number two or one A. I mean, I don't know. I yeah. I just I don't know where they'd be without him. To be quite frank, I I just think he is absolutely huge. That's aside the the offensive line. Like a lot of offensive line, they're always going through transition. I don't think you really are. You you need a couple of like significant guys at the positions that matter, a cover corner, a number one receiver. When you got a quarterback like him, you know, they certainly can run the ball. Um, uh, I, I just think that, that this is a team, because they've made two consecutive NFC championship games, um, I, I don't think that necessarily they feel urgency. I think they just feel like, let's get it right as we go through the season. And they're not pacing themselves, but it's like they're just – they're just kind of constantly tightening this screw over here and, and ratcheting up this over here. And, and it's, it's, it's like, we know what we've got. We, the, the major parts are still in place. We know how good we can be because we've done it two straight years with a Hall of Fame quarterback. Let's, you know, and, and, and that's what I feel like I've seen the last two weeks against the Lions at Lambeau and then on the national game Sunday night. It just, it looked like there was, there's a confidence, even with the younger players, there's there's a confidence with this team. They know where they're headed, and and, and there's never a time to panic. And and uh, that's that's the sense. You're much closer to the team than I am, and go to practices and talk with the players on a daily basis and all that. From afar, it looks like this is a team that no, they're they're self reliant. They're incredibly competent, um, and and they they see the path before them, and they're not blinking. Yeah, they they, they know what they got ahead of them, and I think they. They feel like they can, again, get to where they need to be and have a different result at the end. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Kevin. You know, all of us on the, you know, around the team, all of us are saying, well, you got to start playing. Like, you know, no, you don't have to play like a Super Bowl champion in September and October. Uh, Belichick has proved it time and time again. True. You get exactly. through this part of the season, just get through break even. Even if you're 500 after a month and you're healthy, if you have your, if you're not losing key players to season ending injuries, you got a chance to make a run. Anybody does. Absolutely, Wayne, and that that's true all over the league. So much money, as you know, is spent on starting talent and keeping the players that you've maybe drafted, developed, and have, have proven to be you know you know these elite players at their position. And and so, but when they go down, you know, now this is when coaching and teaching and development all take place. The Packers have always kind of been known for that, and somehow they always plug in a guy here or a guy there. To, to short what they've got. Now, every team has flaws. There's no, there's no perfect team. Even the defending champion Buccaneers and even right. the Rams, they've all, they've all got areas where they can improve. So there's, 
in, in this day and age of the salary cap and everything else, and it went down, we know, because of last year, you know, there are no perfect teams. But I have, in my opinion, I have no problem in the same conversation talking about the Bucks, the Rams, any of the other teams in the NFC that seem to be standing out right now of putting Green Bay in that same sentence. I really, I, I think they are right where they need to be. This game will be interesting because Pittsburgh's ticked off about what happened last week, and they're going to come into Lambeau. I think any team that comes into Lambeau always feels like it's a special place to play, a reverent type of attitude they take coming in, and I'm, I'm just of the mindset that this team is, is ready to go. I think you may be right, Kevin, and, and that certainly is the case with teams going into Lambeau Field. They look forward to it. All the best. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the visit. Uh, best to you and your family. What, do you have two grandkids now? We have two, and yes, we have two grandkids and uh, the, the, the little boy, little girl, and uh, life is good. We're, <laughs> we're healthy and, and happy and feel very blessed every day, and um, you and Julie have raised those two beautiful boys, and and uh, I'm just glad we have the friendship we have, Wayne. And, and I, I tell people that every time that they ask, but where am I start? You know, who was influential early in my career? And it was Wayne Larrabee. You were doing, uh, you know, radio, and that you and I love radio. We, yeah. you, you, I like it's in our hearts, right? It's like a, it's a passion with us. Television to me just has never really hit that tone. It's just kind of something I've been doing. But the radio, um, and probably a lot, and watching you early when I was a kid, you know, in college, and, and, and idolizing you doing the Chiefs, you know, that, that's where it came from. It came from the love of radio, and, and, and I'm glad that, that uh, I learned under you and, and that we've remained friends all these years later. We see each other in a press box, and first thing we do is, is start to smile and laugh yeah. before even a word gets exactly. out, which I think is pretty special, and I... Uh, I treasure that friendship. So thanks for having me on. It's great to visit. And, and uh, I'm, I'm a Packer fan through and through. Even even though I may not be doing a game, I'm watching and cheering them on like all the people that are listening to your podcast today. Well, Kevin, listen, all the best. And we'll probably bother you down the line <laughs> again. Please, call anytime. You in particular, man. All right. I love it. We'll I take love care. Kevin, thank take you. care. Okay, Wayne, thank you so much. So it's the Packers and the Steelers at Lambeau Field. Late afternoon window, stat of the week going into the uh, Packers-Steelers game. And I must admit, I got this from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. I did not crunch these numbers myself. I should, but I didn't. The Steelers have not scored an offensive point. Think about this. In the first quarter of their last 11 games. Fast starters they have not been. Especially Big Ben, who in the first three quarters of this season, first three games... First three first quarters this season has completed just 17 of 26 passes, 118 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions, 43.4 passer rating. Over the course of the fourth quarter of the three games this season, he's completed 34 of 48, 333 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, and a 103.9 passer rating. So, if the Packers get up in this game early, don't turn away. There might be fireworks down the stretch, and we saw that in 2009 when Big Ben hit a receiver by the name of Mike Wallace in the corner of the end zone at Heinz Field to beat the Packers on the final play of the game back in 2009. Something to keep in mind uh, Sunday in Lambeau Field if the Packers get the lead. Remember, it's a 60-minute game, and as Yogi used to say, 
It's never over till it's over. And now the back page. Some are calling Sunday night's dramatic victory for the Packers in Santa Clara over the 49ers a signature win. Really? Signature win this early in the year? Maybe. Hopefully. Uh, By the way, have you ever wondered who signs signature moments? I'll tell you who does. History. The signature win for Aaron Rodgers as a legendary Green Bay quarterback nationally came in the playoffs following the 2010 regular season. Everyone knew by then Rodgers was good. But after sneaking past the Eagles in the wild card round of the playoffs that year, the Packers went to Atlanta to play the top seed Falcons in the Georgia Dome on a Saturday night. Rodgers went off for 366 yards and three touchdowns, engineering a route of the heavily favored Falcons 48-21. It was a spectacular performance. It was his and their signature moment. But history would not sign off on it until the Packers beat the Bears in the NFC title game and then the Steelers in Super Bowl forty-five. So now, today, over a decade later, we reflect on that young Aaron Rodgers, who went on to just trounce the number one seed and burst on the scene nationally. Since then, when you talk Aaron Rodgers, you talk Hall of Fame. Since that moment. Last year, the signature win for Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers wasn't the NFC title game in Lambeau Field. No, the signature win was the week before when they went into New Orleans and knocked off Drew Brees and the Saints, a team that had beaten them twice during the regular season, including that November in a rout at Tampa. That moment crystallized in history only after the Bucks won in Green Bay and then destroyed the defending champion Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Remember the Patriots when they went undefeated through the 2007 regular season? First team to finish a regular season unbeaten since the Miami Dolphins. They won two more games in the postseason to go 18-0. and But in the Super Bowl, Eli Manning, on a desperate throw to someone named David Tyree, who caught the ball by securing it to the side of his helmet, beat the Patriots 17-14. to Now, Patriots owner Bob Kraft did hang a banner at Gillette Stadium that reads, undefeated regular season 16-0. But no one in New England, and I'm from New England, no one ever talks about that season. No one, not my high school friends, some of whom have season tickets to the Patriots, that ever talk about that season. The most talented Patriots team of all time, yes, more talented than any of their five or six Super Bowl champions, have been lost in history. Their signature moment, 18-0, never signed because they did not complete the deal. Think about this. Would anyone revere the ice bowl in the same context if the Packers lost to the Raiders in Super Bowl II? You see, the signature to a moment is not applied until the job is finished. For that Packers team, they had to go to Miami two weeks later and knock off the AFL champion, Oakland Raiders, and they did 33-14. Thus, the 21-17 victory over the Dallas Cowboys in the NFL title game in 1967 was signed as the signature moment of the Lombardi era, one of the greatest moments in the history of the National Football League. Had they lost Super Bowl II, Would that moment be crystallized in history as it is today? Would you and I be talking about the ice ball 50-some years later like it happened yesterday? Dare I say, I think not. Now let me tell you about another story, another signature moment 
that never was. Back in 2004, the Packers played the Vikings in a rare Christmas Eve game in Minneapolis. It was the penultimate week of the NFL season, and based on the standings at the time, the winner of that game would clinch the division regardless of what happened the following week. It was a de facto NFC North Division championship game. It was Dante Culpepper in his prime against the old gunslinger Brett Favre. It was the only game in the NFL that day. A late afternoon start in the Metrodome, the ultimate house of horrors for the Packers of that era. It was an incredible back-and-forth slugfest between two premier rivals, a heavyweight fight that went right down to the 15th round. It came down to the right foot of Ryan Longwell to beat the Vikings 34-33 and give the Packers a dramatic, incredibly satisfying victory. Ironically, earlier in the season, the Packers had snuck by the Vikings by the identical score in a dramatic, hard-fought affair at Lambeau Field. You see, in those days, all Vikings-Packers games were hard-fought and most of the time very dramatic. For Packerland, this was the ultimate Christmas gift. The old fashions were flowing, good cheer was abundant, and the Packers were on their way to the playoffs no matter what, and they would have home field advantage for the first game. What could be better? What could go wrong? Because of how they won that game, where they won it, and who they beat, that win was seen as one of the great regular season victories in recent Packers history for about two weeks. A week later, as we wrapped up the season in Chicago, then-Packers head coach Mike Sherman, still glowing in the aftermath of that, quote, signature win, said to me, that was a program win. Meaning, the Packers program, that had taken some hits that season in a 1-4 and four start, was still better than the Vikings and still the class of the division. The Packers went on to beat the Bears to finish with a 10-6 and six record that season. The Vikings went to Washington and lost to finish the campaign with two discouraging defeats and an 8-8 eight and eight record, a demoralizing moment for a team that had led the division for most of the season. Then Vikings head coach Mike Tice noted the best things that could happen happened to his team. First off, they backed into the playoffs. Secondly, they drew the Packers in the wildcard round at Lambeau Field. How was that good for the Vikings and bad for the Packers? Well, let me tell you, that assignment energized the Vikings at the same time deflated Sherman's Packers. The Packers knew they were no better than the Vikings, yet they had beaten Minnesota in both games during the regular season. Now, after two gut-wrenching games, eight quarters of blood, sweat, and tears against this foe, the Packers had to do it again. Really? Meanwhile, Vikings coach Mike Tice knew his team was incapable of beating any team in the playoffs that year except one, the Green Bay Packers. He knew, and he played on it all week, one win to erase two losses and a win in Lambeau Field to erase all of the heartache of blowing the division title to their hated rivals at home on Christmas Eve. Well, the Vikings came to Lambeau off two losses to close the regular season, and incredibly, they had momentum and belief. They knew each of those regular season games against Green Bay could have, might have, and should have gone their way. 
In the NFC wildcard game on January 8th at Lambeau Field, the Vikings scored 17 unanswered points. First quarter points, 17 of them. Dante Culpepper, Randy Moss, and the rest of the Vikings put a whipping on the Packers that day, 31-17. Moss caught two touchdown passes and famously mooned the fans in the goalpost in the south end zone of Lambeau Field. So deflating was that loss for the Packers franchise and fandom that if you ask anyone about that Christmas Eve signature win in Minneapolis over the Vikings for the division title, they will probably ask you, what? What are you talking about? So we sit here entering week four of the 2021 season with the Packers coming off a dramatic victory in a place that has not been kind to them against a team many feel is at least an NFC title contender, if not a potential Super Bowl champion. What does it mean? Well, for this Packers club still trying to find itself, as are most teams in the league at this juncture of the season, it breeds confidence and, more importantly, the kind of chemistry that only accomplishment on the field can foster. Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers, especially Mason Crosby, and the entire Packers organization are savoring that victorious moment as well they should. The newspaper headline called it a signature win. But history doesn't sign for a moment. History requires that moment lead to something before it will place a signature on it. If not, That moment in Santa Clara where Rodgers rallied the pack, driving 42 yards in 37 seconds with no timeouts, and Crosby hitting a clutch 51-yard walk-off field goal. All of that will melt away in time, never to be remembered in the future or by the future. Believe me, I've seen hundreds of these regular season moments evaporate because that moment didn't lead to the ultimate. History is not about moments. It's about achievement. Do you get to the ultimate achievement? So we can have our little moments, but gosh, that's harsh, isn't it? History's a harsh judge. It is void of emotion. It only sees the big picture, not the little moments we savor along the way. And it will not sign anything short of the ultimate accomplishment. In this case, Super Bowl. I just pray our creator isn't that harsh. That'll do it for this episode of the Play-By-Play Podcast. Special thanks, as always, to our producer, Nick Van Wagenen, our guest this week, the incomparable Kevin Harlan. The Packers and Steelers in the late afternoon primetime window, 325 start central time from Lambeau Field on the Packers Radio Network on Sunday. Hope you join us for all the action. This is Wayne Larevy. Thanks so much for listening. We'll reconvene next week on the Play-By-Play Podcast.